Amen. Let's, let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 5. And as you're opening up your Bibles to Acts chapter 5, we're, we're going to be going through, as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to see the Spirit's presence and power as He works through the apostles. And as I talk about the Spirit's presence, the Spirit's power, let me ask you this. Do you see the Spirit's presence in you? Think about that. Can people see the Spirit's presence in you? Do people see the Spirit's power flowing through you? Do people see a difference in you? Do they see you differently than they see everyone else? If not, it's time to ask yourselves, why not? Think about that. Why not? Today's title is The Spirit's Presence and Power. And we're going to see how this power, how this presence flowed through the apostles and how the Lord wants this same power and presence flowing through us. And so we're going to get into Acts chapter 5 and we're going to begin in verse 12. And for the essence of time, we're just going to examine the scriptures verse by verse. We're just going to not pre-read them, but we're going to jump right in beginning in verse 12. And it says there, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. You know, as we have here, Dr. Luke, Dr. Luke is the author of the book of Acts. And he immediately reveals to us the miraculous signs and wonders among the people. This is the first thing he brings to our attention here as we're beginning. And then he talks about just where they were meeting. They were meeting there in the temple at Solomon's porch. This is the same location where the crippled man was healed. But I love what he says here. He talks about their attitude and their feeling towards one another. There in verse 12, he says that they were, I'm sorry, in verse 12, it says that they were all with one accord. They were all with one accord. As we think about this, right? As we think about this one accord, there was an attitude and a feeling of unity. You know, as we think about this, if we want God working powerfully through us as a body in La Puente, remember this, we all need to be united. We must have unity. If there are any people here that have issues against other people, if there are any here that are creating divisive thoughts towards others or creating conflicts with other people in this ministry, you are not one with others. And what's the best thing that we need to do is we need to stop this behavior. We need to make a choice to stop it. And how do we stop it? By going to people and asking for forgiveness or you forgiving others. See, if we want the power of God moving through this ministry, Jesus himself said that a house divided will never stand. It will lose its power. And why do we think when we look at this here, right? When we look at the, the birth of the church and the spirit of God that was moving powerfully, that his presence was clearly seen. Why? Because there was what? There was unity. And then in verse 13, it goes on to say, Yet none of the rest dared join them, 
but the people esteemed them highly. You know, we just talked about the people's awareness, right? We talked about how people were aware of, of the apostles' miraculous signs and wonders. They were fully aware of God's presence with the apostles. They fully saw this through the miracles, the signs, and the wonders. And then, as the Bible tells us here, they thoughtfully considered whether they would join them or not. They thoughtfully considered. It's what happens with many of you. Think about this. When people see a fire for you in God, when they see a real passion for Jesus, when they see God moving through you, they thoughtfully consider whether they should be believers or not. It's a natural thing, right? Because they see God moving through you. They see this zeal and this passion. So they themselves are thinking to themselves, should I also become a believer? This is what happens. And not only this, but there were other people that thought highly of the apostles. In other words, the people had a high regard for the apostles. Why? Because they were spirit-filled and led. Remember this, if you and I are spirit-filled and led, our behavior is always admirable. If you are spirit-fed and led, your behavior will always be admirable. But I also need to remind you of this. It's not you, it's God working through you. Remember that, it's not you, it is God working through you. Do you remember Paul, when he saw Stephen? Remember as Stephen was being stoned to death and he was saying, Father, forgive them? Remember as he was just being that example, he didn't retaliate, he just spoke in boldness and he was attacked and he didn't retaliate in any fashion and it stuck with Peter, I mean with Paul. It moved his heart. You know, I remember my brother-in-law as he, kept inviting me to church as he was the first to really bring Christianity to me, right? My wife, I, actually should, I should say the second, it was my wife that was inviting me to a Christian church. She was backslidden. That's why she married me because I was a non-believer. But she was reminding me we should go to a Christian church. And then all of a sudden my brother-in-law becomes a believer and then he starts inviting me and he starts leaving me all these advertisements to these Christian events and concerts. And all I would do is just, you know what, I'd mock him, I'd make fun of him. But yet, when I saw his changed behavior, it impacted me. See, when you are filled with the Spirit, when you are overflowing with the Spirit of God, you are magnetic. What do I mean by this? People want to be around you. Why? Because God is moving through you. It's God that they sense. It's its presence that they sense. See, never think or never fall into the trap of thinking that you are special. It is God that they are attracted to, not you. See, they are attracted to God. They are not attracted to you. It's the Spirit of God that is in you that is drawing them. And as we look at verse 14, it goes on to say, And the believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. 
See, with the Spirit's presence and power, the believers were increasing. People were coming to Jesus. There was an amazing revival, right, that people were coming to God. And it says that there were multitudes. What does multitudes mean? It means large crowds. Remember, there was already an, an account of 5,000 men that already came to the Lord. And that's not counting men and women. There were large numbers of men and women. I want to remind you of one important truth. Let me remind you that it is the Holy Spirit that convicts people. Okay? It's the Holy Spirit that convicts people, but the audible invitation for Christ comes from people. Remember that. The Holy Spirit draws people, right? They're convicted of their sins and their need to be born again, but it is God who uses people to draw them or to invite them to Christ. See, as we talk about sharing the gospel, right, as we talk about being spirit-filled and led, when was the last time you invited somebody to, to come to church? Or when was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? Think about that. Was it a week ago? Maybe yesterday? Was it a month? Six months? A year? Maybe somebody, the last time you invited somebody to church or to Christ was what, maybe two years ago. The other day, just a couple of days ago, I was at a hospital and I was there visiting somebody and I remember, I, I, I should share with you that there was a man that was in a wheelchair. And I remember when I saw him, I mean, him and I, we just, you know, we locked eyes, right? He saw me, I saw him. And I knew what the Spirit of God was asking me to do. He wanted me to go and share the gospel with him. He wanted me to go and to share God's truth. And I had my Bible with me, right? As I was there visiting somebody, I wanted to comfort them with the Word of God. And, and as he saw the Bible and he saw me walking towards him and he's, he's doing this, he's looking up and he's like, oh no, he's coming towards me. He's coming towards me. And then when I finally got there, you know, I asked him, how's he doing? And, you know, and then he needed help. He needed to charge up his, his, uh, his uh, wheelchair. And then after that, God just moved me, and I began to share the gospel with him. And, and you know what? And he, and he gave his heart to the Lord, and he surrendered his life. And so, you know, this is what, we're called to do as being spirit filled and led as being you know having the spirit's presence and power within us let me remind you if you say you have a real passion for Christ his passion should become your passion and you know what his passion is his passion is the lost his passion is people See, our hearts should beat for what his heart beats for. And this is people. And today, I want you to know, <coughs> excuse me, today, with all the events happening today, this is a prime opportunity to share the gospel. Did you know that when major catastrophes happen, that people's hearts are drawn to the Lord because they know that they're not going to live forever. They see what's happening. 
And then there's a sense of, of life and life after death. You know, we mentioned the earthquakes, the hurricanes. But I didn't mention to you what's happening in the Middle East. And a lot of people aren't aware of these things, but these things are happening. And I share this with you because not only do we have signs of, of the events, that the Lord's coming back soon, but you also see what happened just last week in, in Syria with Israel. What did Israel do? Israel, they bond a chemical and biological manufacturing plant in Syria. And guess who's the one that built that manufacturing plant for chemical and biological weapons in Syria? It was Iran. And guess who else was upset that this was bombed? Russia. When we look at the events of Ezekiel 38-39, I mean, is this going to come to pass with what happened here? I don't know. Only God knows, right? But you look at the alliance that they have together, and the fact is, is that they're going to retaliate against Israel. They're not going to stay silent in this. We know, without, we know for a fact that they will retaliate. What does this all mean? With these natural disasters? With the signs that we see? The Lord is coming back soon. And then for us, the constant threats of North Korea. I mean, this opens up people's hearts to receive the gospel. People are primed for the gospel. You know, I just remember I was at, as you know, we rent this school. And, you know, they graciously have allowed us to be here on Sundays and Wednesdays. And so I went to pay the rent payment on this past Friday. And, and I went there. Was it thir Thursday or Friday when I went there? And I began to, I asked the, the custodian there, the, the one that was receiving the payments. I asked her, I said, you know what? She asked me first. She says, it's hot outside, isn't it? I said, it's very hot outside. And then uh, I began to share with her. I said, well, have you heard of the other events? You know, not only is it hot here, but think of what's happening out in Mexico. They had just had the earthquake, the hurricanes that are happening. As I began to share the several events, I reminded her of one important truth. I said, you know what? Jesus is coming back soon. And as I'm sharing this, right, the other girl on the other side, she's nodding her head as I'm talking about the events and about Jesus coming back soon. And as I shared it, I wasn't speaking quietly about it. I was speaking just with a normal voice, but because it was an open area, everybody was listening. We got to have a hunger for the things of God and to share these things we got to get the message out that Jesus saves and that Jesus is coming soon. We can't be so concerned about just ourselves. Remember what Jesus said, two things. One, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others the way you love yourself. Share with people. Many times, you know what? I don't even know, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I go and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, Lord, you want me to share with this person? I don't know what to share. But as soon as I open my mouth, 
Then things start coming on. God, the Holy Spirit begins to direct the conversation. This is how he works, but we got to have this desire that God desires. He desires that none should perish, but that all should come what? To repentance. You know, as we look here, as we come back to this, we see here that Dr. Luke mentions that women also came. This is the first time that he mentions that women were also coming to the Lord. He's always talking about men, right? But here we, he mentions the women. And so you could imagine with all the men, how many more women were coming. And then verse 15 goes on to say, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. You know, as we look at this, right, as we see this, the presence and the power of God, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit was in the apostles. And it was clearly seen and understood by the people. Remember I mentioned, or, or I should mention here is that, remember, we are channels and instruments by which God works to reveal himself to people. And people knew with the apostles that God was working through them. And they also knew that God was blessing people through them. And so all the people, they wanted to take full advantage of this, right? And so what do they do? They bring out the sick. And they bring out the demon possessed. And what was so amazing is that they were all healed. And when the Bible says all, it means what? It means all. It wasn't just a few that were healed. They were all healed. It's not like many of the faith healers today. Be careful with these faith healers. And why do I say this? Because they're only healing people at church, right? Think about that. But yet they were out in the open square and they were healing only people that believed. And here they were healing others that weren't, that weren't even believers at the moment. And many of the faith healers, what do they say? Oh, they blame it on the people. They don't have enough faith. Well, these people, think about that. All were brought and all were healed. It's God's presence and power that was working through these men. And can you imagine what we just read right now? Is that these people knew that God was working through Peter. And they were hoping that at least the shadow of Peter may fall upon them. Why? Because they knew that God was working through him. They saw God working through the apostles and they didn't want to miss out. The proof that God was with them was, were the signs and the wonders done through them. This was a proof that God was working through them. Remember, why did Jesus do all the miracles? Think about that. Why was he doing the signs and the wonders? Because he wanted them to know that God was with him, that he was God, that he was able to do these things that no other man can do. He was able to rise people from the dead. He was able to heal them. He was able to allow the mute to speak, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk. And so the only way to prove this to them was through these signs and wonders. Do we need signs and wonders today? Absolutely not. We do not need signs and wonders today. Why don't we need signs and wonders today? Because we have the word of God. See, God wants people 
to know him through you. And through you means that you will live your life according to the word of God. When you live your life according to the word of God, that is God's presence and power working through you. And that's what moves people to give themselves to the Lord. What was the first thing that attracted you? I saw lives that were being changed by God. They were, the Spirit's presence and power was working through them. And so this was the Lord speaking to me. He was convicting me of my sin, and then he brought people to bring that message to me, and I surrendered my, house, my life to Jesus Christ. Do our lives line up to the word of God? That's why we don't need signs and wonder. We have the word of God, and people know the word of God, and do, does your life line up to that word of God? Let me read to you from Romans 12, beginning in verse 1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. Do not conform yourself to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As we think about this, people are drawn to the Spirit's presence and power in you? Are we true witnesses? During the times of the apostles, let me remind you, they didn't have the New Testament, right? It was just being written at the time. And so, of course, how did God validate that he was with them? How did God validate that, that he was with these men? How, did his, how was his presence shown? Through the signs and the wonders. We know that as Jesus walked, how many people were being brought to him? How many signs and wonders did he do? How many de demon uh, deliverances did he do? You know, as we see these things, it's so amazing that, you know what, as we, as we look at, at these apostles, though, right? See, one thing about the apostles is that they made sure that everyone knew that these signs and wonders were done in the name of Jesus. They made sure that they knew that it was not them that did it, it was Jesus that did it. It was the name of Jesus called upon him by faith because he was alive that he was able to heal. You know, just the other day I went to the hospital, as I shared with you, I was at the hospital and I was sharing with with someone and i was reminding him of jesus the power that is in the name of jesus there is no other name that has power like the name of jesus and when you call upon him you're calling upon his power to be released right because you're believing in who he is and i was reminding him as he was there because he was suffering he was he's going through something and i reminded him say the name of jesus say the name of jesus believe in jesus and as he was able to finally speak the name of Jesus, he was able to talk. See, there is power in the name of Jesus. The apostles knew it. Do we know it? Do we believe it? Not that we're going to believe because of the healing. We believe because of 
who he is and what his word tells us and what he reveals to us and as his spirit confirms these things to us and we are told and convicted and we are taught and it is communicated to us and so we surrender ourselves to Jesus. As we keep reading in verse 17, it says, Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is a sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. I want to share this with you. In the Greek, the proper word that should be here is jealousy. And let's keep reading. And laid their hands on the apostles and put them in common prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find him in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Let me share this with you. Before I go into the description or the details as to what happened here, whatever, what happens to people or what happens to believers that are filled with God's power and presence? You know what happens? The enemy comes and he wants to stop the work in you. Remember this. It's, it's expected. We see this time and time again. You know, I shared this with you, I think, either last week or the previous week, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities. It's against the rulers of darkness, the spiritual hosts of wickedness. Our enemies are not people. People are used by the enemies to come against us. The enemy wants to stop the work of God. And what he does is he uses people, uses circumstances to discourage us. But what happens when these attacks come to us? Think about this, right? What are you going to do when these attacks come? What can we learn from the apostles? What did they do? I'll share this in a second. But let me share with you now the details. The details as to what took place here. It tells us that they had indignation. I shared with you in the Greek, the proper word here should have been jealousy. Because indignation talks about really anger. They were, yeah, they were, they had some anger, but they were mainly filled with jealousy. Remember, even Pilate knew this. When the Sadducees and the and the religious people, right? Remember when they when they were they they brought Jesus to Pilate. Even Pilate says, these guys are envious of you. That's the same way here with, with these. They were jealous of the apostles. Why were they jealous? Because all the people were going to the apostles for help. They weren't going to them for help. And the doctrine that they were teaching, the apostles, was far different than the doctrine that these religious people were teaching. 
See, these religious people, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And yet, the apostles were teaching on the afterlife that there is life after death, that there is a resurrection, and Jesus is alive to prove this. And so what do they do? They arrest him, and they throw him in prison. But what's amazing is look at what God did he sent an angel the angel opened the prison doors and he lets him out and the angel tells him what i want you to do is i want you to go back to the temple and keep preaching the gospel this is far different than a lot of things that we do right how many of you after or how many of you have ever been told to stop talking or teaching or speaking the name of jesus show of hands anybody's been told that few of you have i was and i listened i was younger in the lord and as we see here this is not what god wants us to do he wants us to continue to keep sharing the gospel see we are not to stop after the persecution comes see when you are faced with trials understand this is the enemy when he is persecuting you this is the enemy but we are called to persevere and let me share with you what happens when you persevere when we persevere, our faith shines. When you persevere, your faith shines. People are saying, man, can you believe this? These guys don't stop. It speaks that we believe what we believe. We're well grounded in what we believe and nothing's going to shake us. Nothing's going to stop us. And so what do the apostles do? They follow the angel's instruction and they go to the temple early the next morning and they begin to teach. And the religious people had no clue. They had no clue that they were doing this. So the next morning, the temple guards go to the prison. And guess what? They don't find him. And what's so amazing about this, let me share this with you. Because when they go to the prison, right, to find him, they're gone. And yet the Bible tells us that the prison guards were standing right outside of the prison cell. And yet they were able to go out. What does this tell us? That God can do all things. That God can do the impossible. And if we believe that God can do the impossible, then you know that there's no limits to what God can do in your life. And so, as the guards come back, they tell the religious people, they, they tell them that they're not there. And so the first thing out of their mouths were, how is this all going to end? How is this all going to end? You know, they had a new movement. This was a completely new movement led by God, led by the Spirit. It was a new message from the apostles. And to them, it was a living nightmare that wasn't going away. They couldn't stop it. And they knew that this new movement was going to ruin them. And while they're thinking about this, matters get worse. Someone comes in to let them know, guess what? The prisoners are out there still preaching the gospel. And so what happens next? Verse 26 tells us, Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name? 
in this name. And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. They couldn't even say the name of Jesus. They're talking about this man. They were so jealous, so angry by this time. Well, what do they do as they find them that they were out in the temple? They go back, they arrest him. But it tells us they did it without force. Why? Because they figured the people, they feared the people. Because God's presence and power was clearly seen. That they thought to themselves, man, the people are going to stone us. They know that God is with them. They're doing signs and wonders, miracles confirming that God is with them. And so they arrest him, they put him on trial again, and they tell him, didn't we command you not to teach or to even say his name? As we read in verse 29, it goes on, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of your fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Imagine this. As we look at this, right, we think about the boldness of Peter and the apostles. Remember, we're talking about boldness and we're not being, talking about being obnoxious here. What is boldness when it comes to the boldness that Christ wants us to have? He wants us to have a boldness in speaking his word. When you are filled with the spirit, you will preach the gospel with boldness. And when you are filled with the spirit, remember, when the fruit of the spirit is what? Love, peace, joy, long-suffering, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. That's how you're going to preach. If you start getting angry and you start screaming and being obnoxious, you're not being led by the Spirit anymore. That's in your flesh. And what we have here is we have the boldness to even preach Jesus to their enemies. They say, you know what? We got to obey God rather than man. And immediately after they say that, they begin to preach the gospel to the religious leaders. What boldness. But see, as we look at this, right, remember, how many of us were like these religious leaders? Think about that, right? How many of us wanted nothing to do with Jesus? Every single one of us, right? And yet, God sent people to come to us time and time again to share the gospel. We were enemies of God. Every single one of us were enemies of God, just like these religious people. Colossians 1.21 reminds us that we are all enemies of God. So Peter, he shares by the power of God that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, who they murdered by hanging on the cross and it tells us that God has exalted him to his right hand to be both prince and savior in order that Israel repent and that Israel would be forgiven. Only Jesus could do this. See, God's presence and power is available for all who repent. And I love this. It says that the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. To those who obey him. I've shared with you, if you want to be spirit-filled, God cannot fill a dirty cup. 
If you're practicing sin, and that's what we're talking about, we're not talking about slipping. We're talking about if you are practicing sin and call yourself a believer and expect to be spirit-filled, it's never going to happen. God's word tells us here that his Holy Spirit has been given to those who obey him. This is so key. And then verse 33 says, when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Then in the council stood up a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, take heed to yourselves that you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of man, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten, beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Imagine this. And when they're having the religious trial, one of the council members stands up. His name was Gamaliel. And this man, as it tells us, he was a teacher of the law. It says that he was respected by all people and all again means all. Let me remind you, there was a teacher that taught Paul the law. This was that same man. He was Paul's teacher. And this man had a lot of influence. He had a lot of influence. Historians write about the influence that he had over the people. But I want to also share this with you. He was not a believer. He was wise in the law of God. He was wise in the world. He was a good moral man, but he was not a spiritual man. He had no relationship with God because he didn't place his faith in his son. He didn't believe in Jesus because he mentions two others and he compares these two others to Jesus. He reminds them of two former movements, right? Because they look at this as a movement. And they said, well, there was these other two, remember Theodos? He proclaimed to be great and he had a following of 400 people, but when he was killed, everyone scattered. And there was another man, his name was Judas of Galilee. Remember him, he was at the time of the census when they counted the amount of people. He also died and the people scattered. Gamaliel was comparing Jesus to these men, unbelievers. He didn't see Jesus as a son of God. So we know that he was neither Christian nor pro-Christian. All he believed was that it was another movement from man, or he says it could be a movement from God. But if it is a movement from God, he says, then we can't fight against it. And then we see that the religious leaders, they actually felt good with his counsel. And so they end up calling the apostles in, and what do they do? They beat them. Imagine that they beat them. And then they commanded them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. These men did not retaliate. 
the apostles, they accepted the beating, just as Jesus accepted the beating. And this isn't this a very hard thing for people to do? If someone socks you, someone hits you, someone slaps you, someone pushes you, what, do we, what are we inclined to do? To fight back. But yet, look at their mindset. Verse 41 tells us. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Imagine that. After they were beaten, after they were arrested, after they were threatened again, they rejoiced. Let me remind you, the only way to rejoice after these things is to be spirit-filled is to have the presence of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. They said that they counted it worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. You can only have this approach when you are filled by the Holy Spirit. This is the only way it works. If you're not filled, if you're not led, if you don't have the presence and the power of the Spirit, there's no way that you can do it, that you can have these, this mindset. Look at what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached, imagine that. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. When you are reproached, these things that happen to us, on their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. He is being glorified through these things. Verse 16 goes on to say, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. And then finally, in closing, verse 42, what do the apostles do? And daily in the temple, they went out daily. They didn't allow this to stop them. And in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Imagine that. They go back. They don't listen to man. They're obedient to God, just like as God has given us the great commission. We are to continue to teach and to preach Jesus as the Messiah. Let me reveal this to you. What can we learn as we've been talking about the Spirit's presence and power? What can we learn from these from this incident, from these men, what can you and I learn regarding the Spirit's power and presence? I'm going to give you seven points that we're going to learn, that we were taught this. Seven points I'm going to give you. And these are points that God desires that we would remember and that we would know. And as we know and understand these things and we can live in these things. The first point that I want to give you that when you are filled with the Spirit's presence and power, that we are God's channel to share the gospel. You and I are God's channel to share the gospel. When you are filled with His presence, when you are filled with His power, God has chosen you as a channel to share the gospel. I mentioned the Great Commission from Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. God did not give this great commission to, for angels to do. God has given this to, for man to do. And when you are spirit-filled, when you are spirit-led, when you have the Spirit's presence, when you have the Spirit's power, you will see yourself doing this. The next thing that we saw here, that when you are spirit, when you have the Spirit's power and presence, 
is that you will be effective witnesses. Remember that. Point number two, we will be effective witnesses, just like the apostles. See, they're gonna look at their, your life. People will look at your life. Are you an effective witness? Are you living up to what God's word says? Yeah, we all stumble and fall, but we don't practice these things. Remember, the Bible says a righteous man may fall seven times, but what does he do after? He gets up. A reminder to all of us. We are to live out the things that we preach. As Paul wrote a letter to Titus, he wrote this in in Titus 2, verses 7 and 8. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity. Reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say about you. Imagine that. Even your enemies can't say negative things about you. When you have the Spirit's power and presence, I'm going to give you the third point. We are contagious. We are contagious. When the Spirit's power and presence is in you, you will be contagious. Remember this, we are to be passionate about Jesus. When people, when you are passionate about Jesus, people are drawn to God. They're not drawn to you, as we mentioned earlier. We're tra- we're, they're drawn to God that is in us. And people want to be around you. How many of us want to be around passionate Christians? I think we all do, right? I mean, if, if you're a believer, you want to be around other passionate Christians. Why? Because they're drawn to God through you. Or we draw people to God. They begin to think to themselves, you know what? I want what they have. I want to be hanging out with them. You start bringing people to the Lord. I mean, don't you want to be following a pastor that has a passion for Jesus? Imagine if I didn't have a passion, if I wasn't burning for Jesus. Guess what? Who wants to be here? I wouldn't want you guys to be here either. I want, you to, I want you to follow somebody that is passionate about Jesus. That's what it's about. This is when the Spirit fills you. This is when the Spirit leads you. This is when the Spirit's presence is seen in you. This is when the power of God flows in and through you. Let me share with you. There was a group of believers. When Paul brought the gospel to Thessalonica. Paul even said, you know what? You followed us. But then you guys became examples. Look at what it says here in 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 7. It says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but it came to you also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. In other words, we lived what we said. You saw the Spirit of God working through us. And then you became followers of us first and then of the Lord because you realize that, hey, we're just pointing you to the Lord. Having received the word in much affliction, they were persecuted because of their faith in Jesus Christ. But you accepted it with joy of the Holy Spirit. So then you became examples to all Macedonia and Achaia who believe. They became example. People were flocking to Thessalonica. People were flocking to this church. They were wondering what happened over there. Don't you want people to come to La Puente and say, what is happening in that church? The Spirit of God is moving there. I want some of that. 
I want the blessings of God. I want the presence of God. I want God to do a new life, a new work in me. I want to be revived. (coughs) Jesus has a way of doing this. But we also know, point number four, is we will face opposition. When you have the Spirit's power and presence in you, you will face opposition. John 16, says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Don't worry about these things. Our hope is in God. Who are you citizens of? You are citizens of what? Of heaven. Where is your home? It's in heaven. We're only passing through. It's so important that we realize this. This is not our home. The U.S. is not where we're going to live forever. We're not going to live forever in Mexico. We're not going to live forever in South America. We're not going to live forever in Europe. We're not going to live forever in the Middle East. We're not going to live forever in Russia and all these other places. It's so important that we realize this, that we we are one family, and this is a family of God. There's no break in nationalities. When we start breaking our nationalities, when we start saying we're this and we're that, you fall right into the trap of the enemy being divisive. We're one family and that is a family of God. We come from one blood. Remember that. And point number five is what we talked about. When you have the presence and the spirit of God in you, we will be bold. It says there that the righteous are bold as a lion. Proverbs 28, verse 1. We are bold. We're not obnoxious. We're bold. And we're always filled by the Spirit, meaning that we will walk and talk in love, in joy, in peace, in long-suffering, in faithfulness, in goodness, and in self-control. Point number six. We mentioned this before. We will persevere. When you are filled with the presence and the power of God, you will persevere. Romans 5, verse 3 and 4 says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that the tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. No matter what, when you are filled by the Spirit of God, when you have the presence of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit, nothing shakes you. And your faith will shine you will continue to keep pressing forward and that will be a testimony for all to see. And in closing, point number seven, you will rejoice no matter what. The joy of the Lord is what? Our strength. As Peter, as we read, as Peter revealed in his first letter, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. being filled, having the Spirit's presence and power within us. It's a glorious thing. It's an amazing thing. It's a powerful thing. And God wants us to experience His fullness. He wants you to experience His blessings. He wants you to experience all that He is. Amen? Let's close. Heavenly Father,